Hello. All the years I've known of you, I don't think we even had said more than four words to each other. I don't think well, so. This is the thing I was trying to work out. I know you, but I don't know you, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I know of you. When I close my eyes, I can see your face, but I don't know you. <laughs> and I'm just like, how did that even happen? <laughs> I don't even know. It's just the circles upon the circles upon the circles. But it's like yeah. a reassuring thought you're there. You're in my midst. You're in my space. <laughs> it's just, yeah, because I was thinking like, shy highs. Like, hi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and all that stuff. Yeah. Hi, this is a queer jampy from the British Blacklist. And I'm here with a very formidable woman, legend in the game, connoisseur of Muzak. Uh, what else can I say? Well, actually, I'm going to let you take over. You introduce yourself, young lady. Tell us who you are, what you do, and why you're so fantabulous. Oh, well, thank you so much, Akria. I just wanted to say I'm really, really grateful, you know, to be invited uh, to speak to you. I have been listening to your podcast, uh, your podcast, plural. You know? okay. I'm really sort of honoured to have this chat with you. Somebody that I've also seen over the many years, as we've discussed, you know, just seeing you from afar, do your thing. My name's Taponiswa, Taponiswa Mavunga. I've been working in the music industry for about 20 or so years even though I'm only 21 overachiever <laughs> and um, I'm currently the director of Africa for Sony Music uh, UK and just in a nutshell what that means is that I work with the heads of labels uh, within the Sony system and look after UK signed artists in Africa but at the same time look at our African signed artists and act as a hub to get into the UK. I mean, I feel like that wasn't enough of a fanfare about you. Thank you very much for giving some of that to me. But it's you, because I feel like, as we were discussing that, your face has been there, and it's always been, yeah, and Tappy, for those who know you closely, and Tapaneswa, for those who don't, um, or Madame, I should say. Same, likewise, I'm also only 20.3 and a half, I've been doing this also <laughs> for about 20 years in various wearing various hats and I'm sure you've worn various hats in getting here but you are someone like your name rings mm -hmm. out so what I mean I'll, we'll start maybe from the top to the back with the fact that your name rings mm. out what's that like like it's not like you're famous as in maybe walking down the street and everyone's like paparazzi but you are well known and being yeah. a black woman in this space is it a gift or a curse is it, is it has it been hard or is it just like yeah man you know who I am <laughs> do you know what I think that that's an interesting question because I don't feel famous I don't I don't see it in in yeah. that way but I understand in the context that you're saying I've just always just been doing my job I started out as a receptionist at Warner Music with African parents I was definitely guided to do law medicine accountant you know all of those all of the things that I'm not very good at you know and uh, I ended up doing a degree you know and I studied English uh, with journalism and at the end of it I was just like what am I going to do with this degree and the thing that I enjoyed I was vice president of the African Caribbean Society at my university I used to put on events whether it's like calling Richard Blackwood to do a comedy night or if it's a talent show, you know, booking Westwood to come and play at our parties. And at the time, I didn't realise that you could actually make that, you know, that fell into a job space. You know, I just thought that that was, I mean, I was funding my own social life. 
because I went to a university where there was not many black people. And I think at the time there was an urban inverted commas night every other Thursday. So it was just like, how do I get to hear the music that I love? Let's do it ourselves. You know, it wasn't until after I left uni and I decided to take um, a year out because obviously with an English degree, you go into teaching, you know, and I was told, get some work experience with children before you start your PGCE. So that's exactly what I did. And it was in that year that I started to do work experience. And that work experience took me to a couple of music jobs, as well as reception. And actually, when I was on reception, I had that moment of realisation I'm not going back to uni. I'm not going back to study. I don't think I want to be a teacher. This is exactly what I want to do. Sort of sitting on the reception desk, all the calls came through me, right? So it was a really good way of, okay, this call is for legal. This call is for marketing. This call is for promotions, you know? And I was just like, I want to do press. That's exactly what I want to do. (laughs) So I don't think I've actually answered your question, but that's how it started. And From then on, that's been the trajectory. So I've only ever just wanted to work really hard on reception so I can get a job in the building. Once I got a job in the building as a press assistant, I wanted to be a publicist, you know. Once I became a publicist, I wanted to work the music that I wanted to work. And through the artists that I worked with, which included Brandy at the time when I was at then East West, and then it became Atlantic, everything from Missy Elliott to Jay-Z to P Diddy, obviously you start to build a profile this is the part where I was looking at you like yeah that's everything I wanted to do everything similarly I also was like what the hell am I but I was more like I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do Mm. and so just kind of found my feet doing hairdressing just because I could do that and it was only after Mm. quarter then I was like I need to do something that keeps me on the ground and not in long hours doing video shoots and shit so then I went Mm. and did a journalism degree blah, 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 Channel U, blah, 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 BBC. So it's like touching into my passion. So when I worked at Channel U, my my thought was always going to be, I'm going to work at Radio One Extra and be a, I don't even know what I thought. I don't think I thought I was going to be on, on air, but definitely working with music in that respect. And I was just thinking mm. about you being on the reception. I don't know whether what year that was, whether that tied into wherever I was on reception at Channel U, but it's that mm. thing, just getting a feel of the industry and getting to understand it from that, low position in quotes lower lower position where you are now. yeah no absolutely absolutely did you know that you were learning the game at that point or were you just experiencing it and soaking it all up no I I didn't know I think it's maturity that basically uh, gives you that sort of insight because I remember being on reception for about I mean in a total was about 18 18 months or just under two years and I just remember thinking I want to get off this desk but in hindsight it was the perfect introduction for PR you had to deal with people at every level you know I then became like the face you know there was this black girl sitting at reception who would deal with like the chairman of the company would would greet me in the morning right down to all of his important visitors you know whether it's the BBC or if it's like TV or radio right down to the artists themselves right down to the couriers to the post you know it's everyone and you just learn how even the grumpy you know I was going to use a swear word but I won't (laughs) you know even people that are grumpy you just learn to actually just be like okay 
I will help you. I didn't know, but in hindsight, it was a perfect launch pad, absolutely perfect launch pad. And it gave me time to study. Like it gave me time to actually understand because the reality is like, even though I was always a consumer of music, I would pride myself. I'd be at university and tickets for Maxwell would go on sale. I'd be like, I'm number two in the queue. You know, I've got my tickets. And, you know, I didn't even know about freebies at that point. Do you know what I mean? But at the point where this is a massive building, there are massive opportunities. What does it take to be a press officer? What does it take to be a promotions person? Or what does TV promotions actually do, you know? And I was able to learn the role of a record company from quite a safe space, you know? And obviously we always had MTV playing, so I knew what the hits were. I was the person who distributed Music Week to everyone's desk. So I would also know what's happening in the business. So it was a real sort of learning curve. And as much as I wanted to accelerate my journey, I'm actually really glad I, I had that time. Hindsight is the one, isn't it? <laughs> Looking back, right? everything slots into place. So being that person, because even just being at Channel U, I was such a music fan, even just growing up, 90s, hip hop, all that type of stuff. The Source magazine mm-hmm. was my Bible, everything about it. So you doing what you doing and what was it? Who was your first artist? And what was that feeling like? I'm in this space and I'm in control of this space and I'm talking <laughs> to people. Like you're talking, you mentioned Brandy, you mentioned Missy. How you, like my heart would have broken. But anyway, <laughs> who was your first artist that made you like, okay, this is your next step. You're going to be a publicist and I'm going to publicize this artist to my best and then. That's really interesting because I'll need to try and figure out what the timeline is, but I do remember soon after there was a lady called Anita Mackay who gave me a a position. She was the head of press at what was then East West Records. And she was the first person to tell me that, you know, I think you'd be really good at press. At that point, I had been writing. I was contributing to magazines like Untold. I wrote a few bits and pieces for New Nation and Pride magazine. So I was on the other side of of it. So when I realised actually the press office is who you would communicate with, when you're a journalist and I remember when Anita would come in I would talk to her about you know the stuff I'm interested in you know there was lots of time to engage with people you know when they were nice yeah Um, just like you know so what what are you into and like what sort of music and I was just like yeah this is what I love I haven't quite figured out but I'm thinking about press and you know and she kind of remembered that you know at the time I didn't realize that she was coming in as the boss of that department but literally before she started, actually, I got a call from her. She was in Greece and she had said, oh, you know, can I speak to Tapaniswa? Tapaniswa. And I said, yeah. And I was thinking, yeah. And she was just telling me about how she's on gardening leave. And, you know, and I'm just thinking, I've got calls to put through, you know, like, who do you want to speak to? <laughs> and she was like, no, I wanted to speak to you. I wanted to sound you out because I need a press assistant. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. So things pretty much moved pretty quickly um, after that. And the first thing she did was she said, um, Tappy, do you know Missy Elliott? And I was just like, yeah. Uh. <laughs> said, yeah, well, basically, we need to put a press campaign together for Missy. There's there's an album, Missy, so it, you know, and I was at that point, my mind was blown. Are you mad? Are you actually mad? You know, and in my sort of naive, there's a thing about being sort of new. I guess the term would be brand new, you know, where you don't carry any of the politics. You're not aware of any of the politics that exist. So in my head, 
having been on reception and seeing the magazines that people loved and respected, I saw the enemy always was just like, that's where everybody thought, you know. And yes, of course, the source and all the international magazines, but in the UK, it was about the enemy. So, uh, so in my sort of naivety, I just said, well, she needs to be on the cover of the enemy. She needs to be on the cover of like a broadsheet, you know. And back then it was just, I mean, I've said this a couple of times, like, we speak with, again, hindsight of 2020. You know, there was a time when I first started out to even suggest putting a black woman on the cover of a magazine like The Enemy. You were literally told, if we do that, the magazine won't sell. But I didn't have that coming in. So I was just like, but why can't it be? Because I want the same sort of, yeah. you would want the same respect that this magazine was given for this great artist who's a who's an idol of mine to Anita's credit she was just like okay go make it happen even though she was just like no chance <laughs> you know she, I don't think she was just like yeah maybe a feature but and having discussions at the time with the guy they did they talked me through it they said it's terrible to say but that's just the stark reality that's interesting because the fact that um because I'm trying to think of that time because where we are now again it's that whole cyclical thing of diversity isn't it and I think me working at Channel U I was in a bit of a bubble it was very indie us just doing our own thing and mm. trying to make it work the team that I worked with at that time that particular one or two years when it was all of us mm. just thinking not looking like looking at MTV base as a competition but I, mm. I can't remember if the vibe what, what the diversity vibe was then so you being okay a black receptionist that's moving up in this space and now you're going to do publicity what mm. were your, some of your pressures being a black woman in that space because I feel like sometimes when that's not your issue you kind of walk through it and not see it so you're just thinking well boy I can put me I can get busy I can do this I can be a receptionist on this big music in this big music company and I kind of have that similar thing knowing that there's racism and stuff going on around me but my path was never Mm. deterred from me being a black woman was it the same for you the thing that was forefront in my mind was I'm doing something which is sort of against the family norm. Like, what is music? You know, my, my dad, even when he thought he was being supportive, he said, ah, and then yes, and then you do your PhD, you do your master's, you know? He goes, so you want to do what? You want to do music? Like, it was such a concept that was yeah. so far from, so what do I tell my people, you know, that you want, you want to be a musician? you know so I'm like my daily thing was I need to know what I'm doing so of course we're young we've left university we live in the UK I'm Zimbabwean people can't pronounce my name it's Deponiswa I am overtly African even at that time I would wrap my hair I'm definitely a black woman and the only thing I've ever been able to do is to be myself actually I get into trouble when I try and fit in you know and try and do that code switching that's when the idea of being a black that wasn't the foremost thing that was driving me it was actually I need to make a success of this so that I can go back to the tribe and just be like yeah she knows what she's doing those two years of like reading music week seeing the things that were respected in the business you know seeing the titles that were given the kudos and that were given the advertising and that's what informed my decision at the same time I've been writing for magazines like you know I was very aware of blues and soul and echoes and in actual fact I included those in my press campaigns that's what I mean by there's a certain naivety where you don't take on the weight of other people it's not like Anita sat me down and said 
you can't do this, you can't do that. She asked me and I answered. Yeah. And in actual fact, we did get Missy on the cover. And yes, they did say, oh, you know, we didn't sell. But even now it goes down as one of the memorable covers, you know, <laughs> that she did. I took a bunch of journalists to the Bahamas to get it done. So that was also quite nice. <laughs> Where was I? Where was I? <laughs> That's a, I wasn't writing then. Damn it. To be honest, my drive was answering to my mum too. So it is, it's bigger than the industry. It's actually, can I explain to my, my mother that the reason why I'm not being a, an English teacher also is mm-hmm. because I just want to do this thing. And I think I was always driven by my mum saying when she came to this country, she didn't, she did what her dad told her, but not what she wanted to do. It was always like, I wish I did catering. I wish I did something more creative. And I was like, yeah, from day, if I'm broke, I don't give a damn. I'm doing what I love. Yeah, no, I totally, totally understand that. The generational thing is so important because our parents had a different kind of struggle. So I'm first generation. I actually was born in Zimbabwe. So it's not even to say that I'm British and I came to this country. I didn't speak English when I arrived here. Mm. I was four at the time. And then I adjusted, right? And our contact with home as in Zimbabwe was wide open you know like my we would go and visit grandma we would go and visit you know we would go back to the village and we'd go and see the country and and what have you so I had a very real understanding it was given to me that look you've come here these are the opportunities you can see your cousins people are struggling so you mean you want to do music (laughs) like does that make sense and even sort of growing up anytime they would get fearful that I'm hanging out with the wrong crowd or whatever that threat of just this is not your country we will send you home to your country where you will learn the way you know and you understand so it was a huge thing to say yes this is what I want to do but it's not going to live in this sort of vacuum it has to mean something and and I need to know uh, that it makes sense and bless them they are still my biggest supporters to a point where my mum would say um I saw Miss Celia and in the gym uh, they played her video yeah I just thought I'd let you know and I was like thanks mum My mum told me off yesterday, you didn't tell me you were on Channel 4 talking about them. that boy, that boy died, Daniel. I'm like, um, um, it's all right, it's fine. Sorry, I didn't tell you. That's all she needs, so she can brag comfortably. No, because they would have obviously come here in, and it was yeah. a different fight. So to see their children and to see what we are doing, now I've got my 18-year-old daughter. She understands where she's from, but don't get it twisted. Like, she knows she's British, yeah. so there's definitely... What's important, I think, for especially because I've got a 21 year twenty. One year old um, now. Come on, congratulations. Thank you. I always say to my nieces and nephews and my daughter that you guys have got it lucky because you're growing up, even yes, you might still have some isms and schisms, but growing up African in the 90s weren't always too good, you know, and, and then pushing yourself forward into a space where there's colorism, obviously there's sexism, mm-hmm. there's all these type of mm-hmm. ideals trying to navigate in the industry as well. It's kind of difficult from that perspective. So for me, it wasn't necessarily even being a black woman in the racism side. It was more being a black woman in a space where if I'm not the right looking black woman, people might not give you the respect that, or give me the respect that I need to move forward. How did you find that? It's almost like my cultural upbringing 
was the foundation. So that's where my self-esteem and all of that came from. That's where it would be derived from. It was because I was in a position where I had been doing work experience. And back then it was allowed, you know, you could work for a company for free. They'd say, oh, we'll pay your travel card. Half the time they'll say, can you pay my travel card? And they were like, oh, you need to fill this form and blah, blah. So yeah, I was in a position to work for free because my parents were doing that. So I was definitely, even though like I was grown to some degree, it was home. I was answering to the cultural uh, stuff. I don't know. Yeah, the cultural expectations. So in a sense, when it came to racism, which I knew was a fabric of living life. I mean, these times it was around 2000. You know, racism exists. I'm one of very few black people at that time at Warner Music. I'd managed to get into the press office. I mean, we had a very robust street team, for example, but in terms of black people in positions of power, it was very few and far between. So it wasn't like, I wasn't dominated with the thoughts of worries me. I was just like, I need to do this. Yeah. But even not so much even as, as a black, but I, would, I just need to do this because like that was even more the deciding factor. And then time will go past and it's just like, wow, I feel a bit bruised because some of these conversations that I keep having, black women don't sell covers of magazines or yeah. black, where does that go? And it was only then when you start to engage in the real work of like, oh, who do I talk to? When I would say this to the people that were around at the time, it was just known as fact. So to a point, it's like, okay, cool. This is what happened. But I had proved that actually it can be done, but it meant that even the way you pitch stories in, you had to know that you had to come with something super, 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 super special. You just don't get it on merit alone, talent alone. No, it absolutely made sense. And I, I stepped out of the music industry quite early, but then the little bits I saw and some of the conversations I've had subsequently with women I know, black women I know, especially who in who stayed in the industry, worked in the industry, someone who's not in it I feel like it's always black women I see who are doing the most in all across all industries actually but in the music industry I feel like it's a black woman who are, who try that extra bit to get the girls some kind of equal st- status mm, yeah I mean it's that's an interesting one because like if, if certainly if I talk about when I was at entry level going back to where my actual job I worked a lot of American music so yeah. It was the Brandies and and Missy, artists like Fabulous and just all the rappers, T.I., Sean Paul. And then, you know, it went into like the dancehall era. But as I moved up in my career, just seeing other black people, I was just like, I just know what the struggle is. I know how hard it is to get to a position where we can actually start talking about black music and whether that's black music because Wiley's front in it or whether it's So Solid Crew or whether it's you know Lisa Mafia to me there was no distinction I think if I'm really honest it's only become a recent thing that I'm even able to really sort of strip back and look to see where are the black women I remember working with Estelle I worked on her album Shine and that was the first time really that I felt the difference between how a black woman can be treated in the media. I remember even having conversations about if you are going to speak about race, let that be the last question, because otherwise you run the risk of having a totally like nobody's even going to talk about the fact that you've left this country, gone to America, signed to homeschool records with John Legend, which is absolutely amazing. You know, signed a deal with Atlanta. It's amazing. It's like that 
story, which is the story, will then just get undermined. And it's like, Estelle's not grateful. And I think there was a Guardian piece which ended up taking a quote that was said at the very last piece of the uh, of the interview and the whole thing was about race and it didn't even celebrate the fact that she had a number one record this was pre the brit brit artist just having a run of the actual charts and she did that and it was only through those sorts of lessons that i'm just like there is a difference to the way that black women are treated in this industry and actually we can start a conversation there it took for last year to happen for that conversation to actually be taken seriously to actually be like okay this isn't a figment of your oh no you're not pulling at straws no 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 you're not looking at it the wrong way there's a certain way that they'll be like no I don't think that's it but actually no 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 let's let's just look at it if I'm saying that I feel this or I'm giving you experience as a professional or as an as another black woman then listen and I think last year was actually the first time that we were collectively allowed if that's the right word to have a serious and to put that on the agenda and not take it off the agenda because you know it's become a thing so it's always been a source of pride because I just know how tough it is to navigate that industry and I feel the more people there are that get into those positions the more we open up you know, but we need to get there first. I'm outside looking in, so I can wag my finger at certain people and be like, listen, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? But it's good to get that clarification that just being one of few or one of only in a space where you're surrounded by people that just don't get it on purpose or subconsciously Mm -hmm. don't get it, it's hard to fight that fight and it can wear you down. And sometimes people need to be shown instead of told or feel it, and then they kind of like, oh light bulb goes on so it's just good to get that clarification because it does seem like where's the love for people mm-hmm. and around the conversation about the type of music you've had all those kind of drill conversations when it was rap when it was grime about the violence the sexism the misogyny and then for women how exposed how vulgar they are all these type of things that come laden with our culture and our music it's just it's, I guess I don't know have you ever found it difficult have you ever found like you know what I f this I'm out I'm going back to being a teacher I'm going to try and be a teacher <laughs> You know what, there have there have been moments. That's why even when I talk to young women sort of coming through, it is really important for your voice to be heard because even the narrative of just constantly, constantly like a naked girl dancing and she's then the subject of a guy's got to be in a fur coat and the girl's like in a string bikini. It doesn't even make sense. The thing is, it's coming from the artist. Half the time it's coming from the artist. So actually, who am I to censor? But all I can do in terms of if this is a creative pop and skinny girls with big bums dancing in bikinis around that. And there's another thing in terms of actually showing a narrative with a storyline. At least I'm in the room to present that, especially when it's coming from the artists themselves, because ultimately we're not about censoring it is about illuminating people's art and to let that breathe. And maybe I'm not the target demographic. <laughs> maybe I'm not the target demographic. As you're saying it, because I was like, again, we've come up for the same ge- generation. So I was, <laughs> I was East Coast. I was tugged out. I was a gangster bitch. Me and my, my, one of my best friends, we'd go everywhere, every hip hop concert. To be fair, like we had our time, right? Maybe I was cuss- like my first NWA Two Life crew. I there's tunes come on. at nine. And I'm like, I have no, uh, so my daughter's standing in front of me talking about 
diggity and this I have to say okay yeah 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 I have to bop with her because I can't even tell you to turn it off because trust me you you heard few things going up (laughs) as I evolve I'm like I can't say that line that Biggie's saying I can't say that line because it's just too much but that's when you're saying not the demographic it's like I don't feel I could be in this position because I'll be lecturing all of the little boys and little girls are like, listen, you can't talk about this gun thing. And I'll be lecturing them to be like, nah, can you take this woman <laughs> off my team? It is difficult, I do understand. Cause I would be like, yeah. how about, cause I think at Channel U even, we had to, I was working alongside Ricky Blur and we do video submissions. So I'd help him at one point yeah. to be the second eye. And he, we'd, we'd have to start giving advice back to them saying, okay, so how about not doing it in a state with the pit bull and <laughs> the tug, all your tuggy friends? How about, as you said, creating a narrative? And I suppose you can only yeah. do so much, but it's difficult. It is difficult. And also that's why it is important to have like diversity of thought, right? It's important to have people that are slightly older, like myself, even though I'm only 21, you know, <laughs> but it is important to have those people in, in labels. And it is also important to have the younger generation who are, you know, who grown up you know with social media at their disposal I did we didn't have that coming up do you know what I mean like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram came after you know we had kind of established ourselves you know um so I think diversity of thought so that you actually get different because there is there are I've seen classy ways of presenting street life you know it doesn't have to be on an estate you know so but you only get that once we start to so 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 that's why it's like you know there's no right or wrong answer you know if people and and of course you know having social media allows artists to speak directly with their fan base so in actual fact a lot of these artists are doing incredibly well even before they even get approached by a label it's because of what putting out so it's not like people have been constructing this you know so there is that argument to say that's what the kids want you know and that and I have been told that by artists themselves you know this is what everyone's listening to this is what we did and we you know we we shot this on a budget of 250 pounds we put it on GRM and it had a million views you know no label was involved no do do you see what I mean so it's it's like it's a conversation, I mean, and that's why the, that the business can be so exciting because it's a creative conversation that keeps on going. And it's the new people coming up that are able to find new ways of saying things which are not new, you know? So, you know, that, that's, that's where the art is. So, in looking at time, looking at, I still haven't even got to the Richard Antry situation, haven't even got, but I wanted to ask about your role at Sony, um, Sony Africa. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, so so I'm the director of Africa, yeah, at Sony Music UK. So I just wanted to, because I think I had a conversation with someone and I'm going to try and say it as general so no one gets what I'm talking about. But I had a conversation with someone who, about someone who wanted to go to Africa, go just go, go to Africa and set up a record label in Africa because Afrobeats is popping. And I advised the person that, because they wanted to talk to me mm. for whatever reason. And then... um. I was like, is that person, does that person know that there are people in Africa doing this already? And mm. does that person, is that person aware that they can't come with their, what they think they know and come and tell Africans how to do things because that's very patronizing. And also it's insulting. Mm. So it just sounded a bit problematic. So being in that space and the fact that they've hired somebody like you who knows the music, knows the culture intrinsically, mm. 
I've, I mean, that's a great thing, but how, how, what is, how have you, oh, that's a big question. How have you, what's it like being in this position, looking at the way Afro beats, African music, whatever you want to call it, has blown and, and then how the commercial brands, I want to say leak, mm-hmm. but that's not, maybe not the word, but latch onto it and want to mm-hmm. modify it, but yet, I don't know. I'm just, there's, I'm trying to find my words, but do you, do you get what I'm kind of asking? Yeah, I think I understand. I think I understand in terms of like, you know, the the explosion of, of African music, you know, yeah. and, and I think you can answer it in two parts. Like, I'm really proud of the fact that finally, you yeah. know, we're starting to acknowledge that Africa has been influencing popular culture for, for, for decades, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and it's only through Africa's children, you know, Africa, those of, you know, whether it's the diaspora or even the ones at home, like Wizkid, like Davido, you know, like Black Coffee that have been able to take the brands of their countries and export this, uh, you know, this music internationally, you know, that, that you know, Africa's getting, getting the rewards. Now, like I said, you know, when you look at the the history of of black music, I just think everything is cyclical. You know, yeah. we saw we saw this with Garage. We saw it was underground and then it became commercial. We saw it, you know, even like at the sound of like sound systems and yeah. you know, not in Hill Carnival. And then you saw the explosion of artists like Shaggy and Sean Paul and Wayne Wonder and Kevin. You know, like all of you know. So it happens. You know. We see it with hip hop, you know, we saw it with hip hop when it was underground and then the, the money comes in. You can't stop that, you know, yeah. but what you can do is like, I, and what I always say is that we can definitely learn lessons from, from the past. You know, when you look at the genre of hip hop and just how people, stakeholders of hip hop, you know, were probably the, in, you know, like the idea of, of, of like the brand associations that was happening within hip hop, yeah. you know? Um, so it, it's like, we, we, we need to learn that. The, the, the second part of the question is that we're also dealing with Africa. So yeah. part of the, the growth and the expansion of Afrobeats happened because there was a cultural movement happening at the same time. So we shifted from, where it was not very cool to be African actually you were probably targeted you know you were called names you were not to a point where my I would pick up my daughter who was six you know the things that she would do was you know as you know as the everyone was in the line waiting for the parents to come her her Indian her her Chinese friend her white friend and another Jamaican friend would do the Azonto and they would say, like, let's do the Azante, mummy. Yeah. Like, watch, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And they would do Azante, you know. And it was always like, oh, yeah, it's ta- yeah. it's it's Nami's mum coming <laughs> to, you know. And it was just this sort of multicultural, you know, hybrid where it's just like, not only are they using, you know, African words, but yeah. there's like an there's a pride attached. It's like I'm Nigerian, or you know, I eat I eat ground rice or I eat jollof rice, and yeah. even the jollof war was like we weren't having those conversations. You would you wouldn't even admit. So so now 
that there is this gravitation when you see things like the homecoming festival and you see things like Afro Nation and they're happening on the ground and you're, you know, and there are business that there, there is an ecosystem where African artists can be involved in the wider, you know, global space. Yeah. I think that's a good thing, but like anything, just as if you were a black artist in this country, the same rules apply. It's a job, but you need, it's a business. Yeah. In the same way, this is going do do the, do the research, you know, try and learn as much as you can about the business and for God's sake, get a lawyer, which brings us to Richard. Yeah. And one of the reasons why he was so special, you know. So talk, give, give me a bit, because I, I, again, he's one of those people that I knew his name. I, bless me, I don't know if I ever met him. I'm not sure. Um, and I've, I feel like I must have crossed part the way that it was. I must have crossed paths, but I didn't know him. So tell me briefly like, how you met him. And mm. then, actually, no, let's, let's break it down. How did you meet him? And how did you, what was your experience of working with him and knowing him? Yeah, so Richard, Richard, um, it still feels weird to say was, but Richard has been my friend, you know, for, for a very long time. And we met through, he went to Oxford and my best friend at the time when I was on reception was somebody who was in the press office. Her name was Julia um, Stevenson. She also went to Oxford. Um, uh, she was at Oxford with him. And yes, yeah, so just through mutual friends, you know, we, yeah. we we'd hang out the same parties, we'd go to the same concerts, the same shows, and eventually we became friends. And, you know, I was at Atlantic, I think he did, um, he was at uh, Sony for a little bit. And then he, you know, the, the field that he wanted to go into was law. Um, and then yeah we, we just we just remained friends ever ever since so we were just like he was just one of my confidants that I would call all the time and he would do the same with share music you know we would go out a lot so so yeah it was he's just just one of those pe really special people that loved music and what was it that because I think that's what that's it's always you hope that you have one well you don't you hope you don't leave the earth in a way that people feel is not timely but also but then in, if, if that happens at any time you want to leave a legacy that's memorable and mm -hmm. nothing but the outpouring went in his passing and celebration of who he was what 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 did he mean to you you said he was a confidant but what maybe maybe something that you learned from him in being in his space from the mm -hmm. music industry capacity and just what did he mean to you in that respect of the person that he was and what he represented in this industry that you came up in you know, like he was, uh, you know, Richard was always on to the next thing, you know, mm. and if it's one thing that I have learned was just, you know, he wasn't, he, even some of the things that we've discussed on this call today, you know, he wasn't focused on here and now, he was always thinking about the next thing. And that also meant, you know, uh, future proofing, you know, like what, what would be the next trend, you know, and in a sense, he was always uh, championing people, you know, uh, not just artists, but actual people around him, because he, he, he believed that, you know, he needed to have, um, you know, a kind of support system, because sometimes you do get that thing of like, this is, where's, you know, like just days where it's like, this is bullshit, you know, yeah. um, you know and, and it was, it was always important to be able to have challenging conversations he liked that he actually liked to be because it strengthened his art and maybe that's where the legal 
part of his brain, you know, would sort of kick into action. So I just think, um, you know, that was one of the, the, the big sort of takeouts was just, he was a people person in the truest sense of the word, but always trying to find that next thing. So in being that, he would, uh, he would inspire or, you know, he would inspire uh, people along, along the way. Um, which I just think is really special. No, it really is. And I think because you mentioned like, you know, last year, everything that happened last year from lockdown to all the black people that were murdered, picked off with um, George Floyd, or there was a shift. There was the Black Square, there was the Black Music Coalition or the Music Coalition. And I remember being skeptical, well, um, off record, my friend, my, you know, I say friend, she's family, you know, Africans, we don't know if we're related or not, but um, Damaris, Mousy, She's um, yes, yes, yes. my cousin's cousin, my cousin's best friend. So we, we always just say we're cousins. Um, so we talk extensively all the time. And she talks very highly favorably of you as well. Um, oh. Just, uh, just, and I, we were just, I was saying this, I was a bit skeptical. Like, what is this thing? What's this black music thing? What is it? And she was like, look, it's just people to come together to try and pull this thing off. And I, I think in the, in that mo so back on record um, in the moment of you know last year black squares all that stuff the music coalition and things like that a lot of initiatives and schemes have been born and not not and I think it's I was skeptical of some of them because like in all this death destruction of black people these you people are now mm. starting to take notice and starting mm. to help doing black squares all this type of stuff but how long is it going to last so how what how did it affect how did it affect you and your position in the music industry and do you mm. i mean like you said it's cyclical and all mm. the years that you've been in it and watching it come to the front and then go to the back and then come to the front and go to the back now it's at the mm. forefront how have you felt that it does it feel different mm. does it feel like this is actually the time for a shift yeah i mean i i just i i think that um I think that we would like if we have to really take you know if last year is it meant anything you know it, it it definitely well let me put it this way I think there is no person in living history that has done more for black people than George Floyd I'm telling you, Do you know what I mean and that's the really powerful thing he changed everything you know like there are so many areas in it doesn't matter which industry you know and even if it was the fact that you were able to have a conversation that you were not able to have before there is the power in that yeah now I think that it can be a really um it can almost be a detrimental thing one second are you alert it, have you got something to close have you got anything that you can close I think something's popping off I don't think it's my end close have you, you got any mean? alerts open was it me? have I got have you got any alerts open oh no it's uh uh, sorry, it's my, oh, how do I turn off email? It's, it's when my emails come through. Oh, I need to, how do I? If you can't turn it off, it's fine. I'll just, I might ask you to repeat if it pings through your answer. That's all. Okay. All okay. right. Um, yeah. So I just think that there is like, th th so this time and, and those of us that are in it, you know, yeah. it's, it's, 
there's yeah there's just never been in in certainly to, you know in as much as like even Nelson Mandela at the time of you know what he means to South Africa and the and the liberation movement in South Africa it it what George Floyd unwillingly and it it's, it's so sad it's so sad that that happened you know yeah. um but, but there has been a shift and I can I, I can definitely feel the conversations that we are having this year very different to ones that we were having you know, a, two years ago from now. Yeah. And I think that it's the responsibility of all of us to make sure that we actually do, we hold organizations to account, all of the organizations that posted back squares to actually go and hold them to account. You know, with Sony Music, we have a, um, a social, at Sony Music, we have a social justice um, team you know uh, because obviously there was a social justice fund you know set up and you know actually Damaris also sits on 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 that and we there are clear you know over a 12-month period we have been having numerous discussions about how this money is spent and actually you will have seen in the press that we've already started allocating you know there have been some uh, companies that are benefiting from this yeah. that didn't happen before you know and and it is uh, and I think that it's important to to recognize that and actually it's important to acknowledge that and to stay committed to making sure that we keep you know to keep that pressure on because if we say well nothing's going to change and yet all of this you know like this stuff which quite rightly we can have an, we can have another conversation about the whys and, and you know yeah, yeah. you know how that has happened we can talk about inequality we can talk about you know social justice I think that's a conversation that can needs to continue to happen you know um just recently this country came out and brought that dreadful report oh the sea you know, like we in the UK really need to not rest on our laurels and talk about how nothing's really changed because that report is actually going to make it real. So we have a responsibility to actually, you know, to go back and say, this is, this is bullshit. Yeah. This is not the thing. There was the McPherson report, which came after the death of um, Stephen Lawrence, which categorically, you, you know, that was the first time we were talking about institutionalized racism and structural uh -huh. bias, right? And now we've got an opposing thing. So it's not, it, it actually, the responsibility is with all of us because we've identified what an ally is. Allies even know what their, their role is. So yeah. let's do the work. You know, makes sense. So tell us about this um, Richard Antry scholarship fund scholarship, just a scholarship. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, you know, um, the uh, the the Richard Antry scholarship. Um, you know, the the, the open day is uh, May the eighth and okay. uh, June, June the twelfth. You know, and you can get all the details on on uh, richardantry.org. And it's basically a, a scholarship that's aimed at like future industry leaders, you know, from, uh, you know, from black and ethnic, ethnic, oh, I can't get, <laughs> ethnically diverse backgrounds, you know. So, you know, it's, it was founded by, you know, it was, it was founded in 2016. Um, obviously, that was the year that Richard died and, and, you know, he, such a well-respected industry lawyer, figure and leader. It's like, it's a really fitting tribute um, to, uh, 
you know, to 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 what Richard sort of dedicated his his life, you know, uh, to. Um, it's in conjunction with the University of Westminster as well. Um, and basically there's like a, a bursary uh, which which um, students can can apply for. Um, yeah. Because well, you mentioned that, you know, it's, I mean, I mean, we've all read the stories, people getting signed up to deals that they have no clue about. So you mentioned, because he's a lawyer. So, I mean, yeah. it's, and it's about being educated in this space. And I, cause I, I also then do look at like lots of young black people who get into the industry and then you know they get rich they get famous quickly quickly sign with a label and then they don't know what the hell they, is on the on the small print so this mm -hmm. this scholarship and the course that you're, you get you you use the scholarship to get onto will teach you all these things and yeah yeah and I think it is it's it is really important I think education is is one of the keys you know in terms of you know being able to decide like it, it just how far you know how far you can go you know you can have all the talent in the world but if you don't have the right team or if you don't have the right mindset and I think Richard played such a pivotal part there's very there's like a generation of artists that will have Richard in their story you know yeah. and that's a combination of you know he was very well educated he went to Oxford he then went you know and and all of you know some of the learning that he brought but also being of the culture he was very you know he was very much of the culture so yeah this is about again testimony to you know us as black people we we definitely understand that that sort of cultural struggle you know the jobs aren't just in doctors and lawyers you know, although we love entertainment lawyers and and other ones as well, but yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that the the the, the uh, playing field is quite vast, you know. And actually, we need these talented minds that are going to nurture the next generation of of cultural creators and and you know and artists. And um, yeah, and this is this is one such course we've got. We've already had success stories from that course who are in business, who are in the industry now. So yeah, I really just encourage people that are thinking about it just to go and and apply. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So I'm just going to wrap up with a few getting to know you questions. I could speak to you like for loads more time. We're going to speak again. We have to speak again. But um, these are just some quick. Yes, fire. we must. I've really enjoyed this. Oh, good, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, so give me a book that you have to have with you anywhere you go. Like, and I, well, I don't mean even physically, but even if you move, like if you move house, you've got to have this book in your collection or it's in your handbag, something like a book that you have to have with you. Oh my God, this is a good one. Oh, uh, a book that I have to have anywhere I go. Oh my God, why are you putting me on the spot like this? A favourite book or a book that resonates with you then? Something like that. Do you know what? I really like the work of any of Marianne Williamson, okay. uh, Marianne Williamson's books. Um, and she's a woman that studied the course of miracles and, you know, she's written, she's, I guess, in a sense, interpreted that, you know, but any of her books 